0: passionate expression of my love for God because of His love for me that overflows in my life and from my life. And so the first week we looked at the heart of worship, a heart of dependency, a dependency on God alone which then overflows into a heart of repentance, a heart that is repentant before God. And this is so crucial because today now we're going to see that a heart that is repentant before God, and as we saw last week, a repentant heart is a heart that is restored to God, From a heart that is restored to God, turning away from sin, turning toward the Lord, is a heart that is increasingly satisfied in God. Satisfied in God. Now, why is it so important? I mean, why would God write... A Psalter of 150 Psalms, many of which continue to exhort us, be satisfied in the Lord alone. Why is this so important? Because, here, write this down. This is a key truth for today. What we think will truly satisfy us is what will ultimately have our worship. That's a sobering truth. What you and I think will truly satisfy us is what will ultimately have our worship. Just sit on that for a minute. Think about the magnitude. What we long for is ultimately what we will worship. And there's a problem if you look around society. You could just look even in our own lives this past week. The problem is we seek satisfaction and we long for things that can't truly satisfy us. And we live in a world that promotes these things as if they can satisfy us. What are some examples? What do you mean? How about this? Relationships. If I just get a spouse, then I'm going to be satisfied. Really? Spoiler alert. It won't work. If I just have kids, then I'll be satisfied. Spoiler. That won't work either. Love our kids. It doesn't work. Oh, if I just get that job, if I just have the position, I'll be satisfied. That ain't gonna work. If I just have a a little more money, then I'll be satisfied. If I just have my health, then I'll be satisfied. Really? You sure? You sure about it? You're gonna bank everything on that? If I just have enough food, and I just can eat enough to numb my anxieties and numb my worries and fears, then I'm going to be satisfied. No. If I just have enough stuff, if I just have possessions, I'll be satisfied. If I just have enough entertainment, I'm going to seek my satisfaction in binging on Netflix. The whole idea of Cineplex saying, escape with us. What do you need to escape from if you're satisfied in the Lord? Well, if I just just have enough sex then I'll be satisfied. If I just have comfort, then I'm going to be satisfied. If I just get out of this sticky situation, then I'm going to be satisfied because I got my comfort, I got my leisure. See this? We see all of these things and the result is this. We live lives longing for these things and we give our worship to them and here's the result. Empty, broken, and we are left wanting. Why? Why? because we forsake the true worship of God the one whom all true satisfaction is found in and we give our worship to idols idols that will always overpromise and always underdeliver so the question we need to ask that we should be asking right now is this how do we live with a heart of worship that is increasingly satisfied in God alone. How do we do that? How has God showed us that is cultivated? And so today we're going to see three postures of the heart that we must increasingly embrace if we are to live with a true heart of worship for God that is satisfied in him alone. Three postures of the heart. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Psalm chapter 63, we'll read verses 1 to 4. My soul thirsts for you. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, Amen. Let's have a seat. Well, a heart that is satisfied in God alone, we see from these first four verses, here's the first posture. A heart satisfied in God alone desires God's presence earnestly. Desires God's presence earnestly. And the question that we are confronted with from these four verses is this. Satisfaction in God flows from a desire for God. Do I want him above all? There's a question. Do I want him above all. Let's get some context here. You see in the subtitle there that David is writing this psalm and he's writing it, and he's hiding in the Judean wilderness. There's a pic of the Judean wilderness not exactly your club med. He's he's there in the wilderness and I used to live in Jerusalem minutes from this and uh, it's pretty much like it says. There's no buildings. There's no running water. There's nothing there. It's a lot of heat, a lot of scorpions, a lot of wild animals, a lot of rocks, and a lot of dust. This is where he's writing the psalm from, hiding in a cave by the Jordan River. And he's either hiding from King Saul. There's one of two situations he's in. King Saul, when of course King Saul wanted to kill David, so David's off running, and you can read about that in 1 Samuel 23. But more likely, as we're going to see in this psalm, He's hiding from his son Absalom. Absalom, which, if you remember from uh, 2 Samuel 15 to 17, Absalom storms into Jerusalem in a coup with a bunch of the Israeli military and overthrows his dad. David flees with a bunch of people in the Judean desert. His own son wants to kill him, and he's being hunted. And so the psalm's focus is David's intense love for God and his longing to see and worship him in the temple. Where's the temple? In Jerusalem. Back into Jerusalem. To go back in. He's longing for it. And it's a declaration of David's commitment. Notice this. Imagine yourself in that desert. It's his declaration of his commitment to be satisfied in God alone no matter his circumstances. And this commitment to seek the presence of God and worship Him in the midst of the trial, it gives us instruction in worshiping God, flowing from a growing satisfaction in Him alone, no matter our circumstances. And so we first see in verse 1, we see that to do this, notice where David turns, right out of the gate in verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Who does he turn to? David turns and cries out to God. How? By remembering who God is. Notice he says, Oh God, you are my God. The Hebrew there for God is Elohim. Elohim, which means, you love this, the supreme God over all, the only true and faithful God, and the great God. He turns to God in the desert and says, you are my God. You are sovereign. You are over this. You are great. He says, you're not just, but notice this. He says, you're not just a God. Notice the words. First, verse one: Oh God, you are what? A God? He says, you're my God. What does that indicate? Personal, intimate God relationship. God completely transcendent, yet completely imminent with David in the trial. And because of this, he says, notice, keep reading verse 1 right in the text, earnestly I seek you. Now the word earnestly there, circle that in your Bibles, the Hebrew there for earnest means in the dawn. It means I'm getting up early to seek you. And not just seek you in the dawn, but to seek you diligently, longingly. Why? He goes on to say, because his soul feels like it's in a land of drought with no spiritual water to refresh him. Here's a picture of David's soul. Anyone here in a spiritual drought this morning? Anyone feeling, needing a soul refreshment from the presence of God today? There's David. That's a picture of his soul right there. Because his soul, the word soul there, by the way, just means his whole being, every part of him. Thirsts for God. Notice what it's thirsting for. Not relief from the situation. Not my name to be reestablished as people are gossiping and slandering about me in the kingdom I used to oversee. He says, my soul doesn't thirst for my reputation. My soul thirsts for God. Who does your soul, who does my soul thirst for this morning in that trial? He says, my flesh, that is my whole body, longs for the presence of God so much that if I don't get it, notice what he says, I'm going to faint. My flesh faints for you. And David looks around, he looks at the wilderness and says, this wilderness right here describes my soul without you, God, soul-thirsty. And then in verse 2, notice what contributes to this longing. He says, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Can you just hear the longing? He's remembering now to when he was in Jerusalem and could walk into the temple, into the sanctuary of God. He says, I remember those times when I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. That is, what's the sanctuary? The temple, the dwelling place of God where the Ark of the Covenant was. He says, I long to go back to them where I can behold, that is see, your power and your glory. What's God's glory? His honor, his majesty, his manifest presence. That fills the dried out, parched soul. The presence of God. He goes, I'm longing to go back there to worship with your people. And then in verses 3 to 4 he says, but even though I'm not there, even though I'm not in the sanctuary, I'm stuck in this desert. I'm stuck with the heat. I'm stuck with my sandals full of rocks. People wanting to kill me. I've lost the kingdom. My reputation's in shambles. Even though all this is going on, I'm still gonna seek you. And my lips will praise you no matter my circumstance. Why? What does he say here? Because you're steadfast. Fast love, circle steadfast love in verse 3, because your steadfast love for me, what is that? We looked at that last week. The Hebrew word there is hesed, which means your loyal, unbreakable, enduring love has not changed. My circumstances changed, but your love for me sure hasn't. My circumstances changed, but your love for me, that's why you can't put your satisfaction in anything that can be taken away you won't find it there that's why you'll end up empty that picture on that screen right now is the picture of the soul is the picture of the heart that seeks its satisfaction in anything but god it's going to leave you empty and he says, no matter my circumstance, I am going to praise you because your steadfast, covenant love for me, loyal, unbreaking love has not changed. And all that your love entails and means for my life, and listen to this, loved ones, we, we need to believe this today. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, because I can't make it happen in us. I need this in my life every day, to believe that God's steadfast love is so much better than anything else I could ever achieve. Your steadfast love for me, God, getting that, your manifest presence with me, is so much better than me getting the kingdom back. It's so much better than me getting my son back. It's so much better than getting my reputation back, getting my comfort back, getting my health back, getting my happiness in circumstance. It's so much better than anything I could ever achieve, attain, or want from this world. Your love, your presence is better than even life itself. Anything this world could offer, God's steadfast love is better than life itself. Nothing touches it. Nothing touches the steadfast love of God over our lives. And this is why David can declare in verses three to four that no matter the situation I'm in, David says, I will choose to bless you. He's in the desert. He's cooking. And by the way, the Judean desert easily gets upwards on a daily basis of over 120 degrees. And there's no Maytag man available. You're not getting A.C. He says, but in the midst of that, in the midst of my grief that my son has turned against me. In the midst of my fear that people want to kill me. I am choosing to bless you. Let's get clarity on what that word bless means. When we sing that song today. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here's what you're saying. Ready? I adore you on bended knee. I will adore you. I will humble myself before you. And here's the beautiful second half of that word I will enrich your reputation in the eyes of man. I will declare you. This is why worship is a life of witness. Because whose reputation do we want to enrich when we're going through the trial most of the time? Us or the Lord? Get me out of this situation. Get my comfort back. Establish my reputation whose reputation do we want to enrich? I will enrich your reputation among the people, not my own, and declare your greatness right in the midst of my suffering. There's a heart of worship. There's a heart of satisfaction. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. That's the posture of praise and the posture of prayer. As long as I live. Now notice there, notice the words here. As long as I live in verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. Now notice what's not there for a second. As long as I live in comfort, I'll bless you. Not going to find it. As long as I live in ease, I'll bless you. It's real easy. No. As long as I'm living in health, good health, I'll bless you. Mm Mm-mm. As long as I live getting what I want, I'll bless you. And what you doing what I want you to do for me, God, I'll bless you. You won't find it in there. Because it's not dependent on any of it. Because my praise, my desire for you, Lord, is not based on my circumstance, but it's based on your love for me. It's not based on what I can get from you. It's based on your love for me. Because here's a truth we need to remember. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. True worship of God always adores the person of God before the provision of God. True worship of God always adores the person of God over the provision of God. Let's say it a different way. True worship desires the presence of God over the performance of God. God, I'll worship you as long as you hook me up and get me out of this. As long as my suffering stops, then I'll worship you. No, no, no. True worship always desires the presence of God over the performance of God. Now, just just live in the text for a moment. Put yourself in David's shoes. Hey, team, can you put the Judean desert back up, please, on the hills? Thanks. Thanks. Put yourself in David's shoes. One more slide before that, Danny. Picture of the desert. David's shoes. Would you want to bless the Lord? Think about this. Would you want to bless the Lord right here? Now, you know the right answer, but what's your heart's answer? Would you want to bless the Lord? Put yourself in this situation. Your kingdom's gone. The physical comfort is gone. Your own family wants to kill you. You have to look over your shoulder every single moment of the day because you don't know who you can trust. You're being gossiped and slandered about in the kingdom that you tried to faithfully shepherd and those people that you tried to help. You don't know where your next meal's coming from. And here's the kicker. There's no end in sight to your trial. What would be your greatest desire right here? What would it be? Just be, hey, loved ones, can we just humble ourselves and be honest with the Lord? What would be your greatest desire? What be, I was so convicted with that this week. Would it be God's presence with you in that trial? Or his performance for you to get out of it? What's your greatest desire? Would his presence be enough for you to fill the thirsty soul? Would you pray? Would your prayer be earnestly, God, I seek you. And even with everything going on, my soul thirsts for you alone. And above all, I want you more than my comfort. I want you more than my deliverance. Look at it this way. Litmus question. If God never gave you anything else... Think, be sobered. If God never gave you anything else except the promise of his presence with you, would he, would his love be enough for you? Let's break this down to today's stuff. You don't get the spouse that you think you want. Stay single. Maybe you lose a spouse. Is his presence enough for you right there? You don't get the children that you've been crying out for. Is his presence enough for you or you lose a child? You don't get the house that you're trying to go after. Is his presence and steadfast love be enough? You don't get the financial security that you want to have. You don't get the job that you want. Is his presence enough for you right there? Is his love for you enough? You don't get your comfort. Your healing doesn't come from that sickness. You don't get the grades that you want to have, students. Is his presence enough? Would you be able to lie on your sickbed and say, I will bless you as long as I live, regardless if the healing comes? See, because here's, here's the truth we have to remember with this, loved ones. You see it on the screen. If God is not enough for you without that provision, he will not be enough for you with it. If God is not enough for you without that provision, he will not be enough for you with it. Why? Why? Because it will take his place in your life. And God in his steadfast love for us. And his grace for us. Will often withhold what we want. So he can give us what we need. And that is him. But will we turn to him. And say I will praise you. I'm seeking you earnestly. Before anything. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3 8, you'll see it on the screen. He says, Indeed I count everything as lost, that is everything in this life as lost, because of the surpassing worth of knowing. The word intimate the, the word knowing there is an intimate sharing the life with. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, for the sake of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. I've lost my family. I've lost my health. I've lost my comfort. For the sake of Christ, I've suffered loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain him. Take the world. Give me Jesus. I count everything else as loss. Question, satisfaction in God flows from a desire for God. Do you want him above all? Do I? And you say, well, well, how, how, how do I grow in this desire? It's not like you can just walk out of here. I just want to make something very clear. It's not like you can just walk out of here saying, I'm just going to want God more now. Good luck with that. You can't do it on your own. You may say, how do I grow? Well, if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior or you're here and you've prayed a prayer and you think that praying a few words makes you saved but you have never surrendered your heart to him, hear this, loved ones, hear this plea from the Lord today based on his word. Sin is separating you. Sin is separating you from God and ever truly knowing his satisfaction in him alone. That sin is separating you and But God, in his love for you, made a way for you to come to him by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you as fully God and fully man, living a perfect life for 33 years, and then going to the cross and paying the penalty for your sin and mine, the penalty of the wrath of God that we deserved separated from him for eternity in hell, Jesus paid that price, was buried for three days, and rose again victorious over that grave so that if we confess his name alone, the name of Jesus Christ, we would be saved and forgiven of sin and start to know for the first time our satisfaction in God alone. And you're here, maybe, and you've confessed Christ as your Savior. Here's, here's where it all starts. Just a simple prayer. Ask him. Ask him. Say, Lord, help me to want you more. Help me to want you more than my comfort. Help me to want you more than getting that provision. Help me to want you. Or even kick it back one question earlier and say, Lord, help me to want to want you more. Help me to want to want you more. This is why Psalm 90, 14, I love it. Here's a great prayer to start your day with. It says this. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. I'm not seeking satisfaction in the outcome. Satisfy me in your steadfast love. Why? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Help me to want you more than the satisfaction I'm seeking in the things of this life. Give me faith to believe, Father, that in your presence is the hope and the peace and the strength and the faith and the love and the mercy and the compassion and the grace and the joy and all that I need. Give me the faith to believe that it's found in you and not what my flesh wants to seek right now. Help me to want you more. This is where a satisfied heart starts. Satisfied in God alone, desiring God's presence earnestly. And in this desire, we see this next in verses 5 to 8. It remembers, a heart satisfied in God alone, remembers God's power constantly. And the question we're confronted here is this. Meditation on God leads to satisfaction in God. Am I meditating on him? Look at five to eight. Look at five to eight. David goes on, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. See David then declares that his soul, remember it's his whole being, will be satisfied abundantly in God alone. By the way, the Hebrew word there for satisfied, it's not like just some surpassing, like, okay, I'll be satisfied for a moment. No, no, no. An abundant satisfaction, it means one's every spiritual and emotional desire fulfilled. Does that blow your mind? Every one of your spiritual and emotional desires Fulfilled. In the presence of God. Every one of them. No wonder we couldn't be satisfied. He says it'll be as if he's, just keep reading, I love the imagery here. He says it'll be as if he's at a banquet filled with rich food. He's like, David's like being in your presence, walking in your presence, is like walking into the Mandarin every day and never leaving. It's like a banquet filled with rich food, and he would praise the Lord with joy as he continually remembered and meditated on who God is and what he's done. And notice when he's going to do this, it's not like, well, just in my quiet time in the morning, and then I'll just go about my life. He says, I'm going to do this at all hours, including the watches of the night. You see in verse 6 there, where it says watches of the night, there were in the Old Testament, there were three blocks of time for the evening. 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., 10 p.m. till 2 a.m., and 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. These are, And each of them was a watch of the night. All hours is the picture here. I will meditate and remember. And in verse 6, just so we're clear on what meditation is, because it's been really skewed these days, it's not like you're sitting on a yoga mat doing... No, 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 no. Here's the word meditation. In the Hebrew, it means this. You'll see it on the screen. Two parts to it. To think on silently. That's the first part. I will think on it silently, but then to speak one's thoughts aloud. I will preach to myself the deeds of the Lord. I will declare what he's done. I will declare who he is. I will not just meditate silently. I will speak out Allowed what he's done. He thinks on who God is and what he's done. And then in verse 7, he's remembering who God is. Remember this from verse 1. Who was he? Elohim. He says, you have been my help. You've helped me. You've assisted me in the past. And David knows that he can confidently sing for joy. Why? Because he's under God's protection, under God's provision. What's that? The shadow of his wings. The intimate presence of God under his protection and given his provision. And then in verse 8, after being reminded of this, he commits, of course he does, he commits to cling to God alone for strength. The word cling there, I love it, there's a sense of, urgency in this. Cling means to hold fast or follow hard after God. Right in the trial, I'm going to follow hard after God. Right in the trial, I'm going to cling to God alone as my source of strength. I'm not going to cling to a certain outcome. I'm not going to put my hope and dependency in other people. I'm going to cling to God alone and go hard after him right in the middle of what I'm facing. I'm coming to the banquet table. I'm coming to the banquet table Because the truth is this. Why is that word cling so important? Why must we understand this? You see it on the screen. Because we will always cling to what we think will satisfy us. If you think getting a house is going to satisfy you, you're going to cling everything on that and put your effort and time and resources, everything to try to get it. If you think having a spouse is going to satisfy you, you're going to cling to the thought of, well, I can't be happy until I have them. Or her. Or having kids. I'm just going to be consumed by this. Instead of seeking the Lord, those children potentially are going to be my small G God. I'm going to cling to them and the thought of getting them. Money, I'm going to cling to it. Possession, I'm going to cling to it. We will always cling to what we think will satisfy us. What are you clinging to? Who are you clinging to? Right now. Look around. This world, what does it promote this Cling to money, cling to people, cling to status, cling to possessions, cling to entertainment, cling to comfort, cling to alcohol, cling to yourself in pride, cling to your own reputation. Don't worry about repentance, cling to your reputation, cling to your own strength. Don't call on the Lord, cling to your own wisdom, don't call on his name in prayer. And think that these things have the power to satisfy and deliver us. See, the world says, if you cling to those things, you're coming to the banquet table. Listen, you're not even getting the scraps from the banquet table when you go after those things. They'll leave you parched. They'll leave you empty and dry and broken. Searching for more. You're not being satisfied by going after those things. You're being starved. And so am I. And if we are to find satisfaction in God alone and cling to him as our sole resource in our trials, in our situation, then we must constantly remember who he is and what he has done for us. See, here's the thing. Here's a tool of the enemy. The enemy loves it when we leak. He loves it when we forget How God has provided again and again. He loves it when we forget who we are in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He loves it when we forget. And we get our eyes off God. And we put our eyes on ourselves. We put our eyes on our situation. This is what the enemy loves to do. He loves to mess with our heart and our head. Get them off God. Get your eyes on your situation. Put them on your fear or anything else. Your worry, your anxiety. Just anything else that's not God. Put your eyes there. Focus your heart. Because then we start committing what's called, like, a side We start to assume the worst. Well, what if this happens, and this, and this, and this? And then we start to get more fearful. And God's like, put your eyes on me. Stop striving for scraps. I'm waiting at the table to satisfy he loves it when we leak. See, we must constantly direct our eyes and hearts off the situation and direct them to the one who is Lord over it. Hear this, loved ones get your eyes off your situation and put them on to the one who's Lord over it. The one who is great and sufficient and all powerful and loves you with a steadfast love. He says, I have not forsaken you. You come to me. Get your eyes off that. Put them on me. I'm over this, I'm with you. Come under the shadow of my wings and see the satisfaction of the Lord. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. The one who's standing, arms outstretched at the banquet table, declaring, Remember who I am and what I've done for you. I have been and always will be enough for you. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Maybe just me. Where are your eyes? Meditation on God leads to satisfaction in God. Are you meditating on him? What situation right now that you're right in the middle of do you need to do this? Get your eyes off it. Get them to the one who's over it. What is that for you? Just write it down and say, God, I'm choosing right now to bless your name and get my eyes. Help me. Help me because it's hard. It's hard. Help me to trust you. And so how do we do this? If we're going to meditate on God, what does God give us through his word? He's so loving. He makes it so clear. What does God give us through his word to help us remember and meditate upon him? Four things. Ready? Get ready this. Through, we meditate on God through running to his word. Run to his word. Philippians 4, 8, 9. I love this. Watch this. Go ahead. Finally, brothers, Paul says, whatever is true, look what we're called to meditate on. Whatever's true, no assumptions. What's true? Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, look at this. There's a, here's the command. Think on that. Think on those things. Why? That's the character of Jesus Christ. Put in one verse right there. Get to Jesus Run to the word of God himself. And look, at, look what happens. Here's the promise. What you've learned and received and heard in me and seen in me, practice them. Do this. Meditate. All the watches of the night, do it. When you wake up feeling scared, do it. When you wake up in the morning, do it. When you're on your way to work, meditate on it. Look, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, before you take that down off the screen, I want you to see that last verse. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice what God doesn't say there. He says, and I'm going to give you my peace. Uh Uh-uh. The God of peace will be. What's that? His presence. I'm not just going to dish out some peace to you. I'm going to give you me. You run to my word. My presence will be with you. Run to his word. Running to the word is running to the truth. Secondly, call on his name. Call on his name. Look at Jeremiah 33.3. 3. So you've run to his word, and now you call on his name. He says, call to me, and I will an-. love that promise. I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. You've got the word of God, and now you pray the word of God. You pray the truth of God. That's how you renew your mind in what is true, what is honorable, what is right. You take God's word and you pray it and say, God, satisfy me in your steadfast love. I am struggling. And you see what's going on in my situation. You see the pain. You see the anger. You see the hurt. But I'm choosing to run to the truth. I'm choosing to set my eyes on you and not the things of man. And I'm calling on your name to satisfy me right now, because I want to run in a thousand different directions that don't lead to you. Call on his name. Look at that. And I will answer. He's near to the brokenhearted and to the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. He will answer. Thirdly, declare his praise. Meditating on God means we're declaring his praise. Look at Psalm 59:16. It says this. You see it on the screen. But I will, there's the commitment. Yes, I will. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your stead... There it is again. Your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been... See, there's the remembrance right there. You have been my to me a fortress and refuge in the day of my distress. I've seen you deliver me. I've seen you protect. I've seen you provide in the shadow of your wings. And I'm going to declare this. We declare it through song. You know what? When you're you're in the dark night of the soul, when your soul is parched and cracked and barren, crank your worship music. Crank it up loud. My wife Natalie can tell when that's happening to me because it's coming out of my office during quiet time and the nap time is messed up. But when you're there, you need a refreshment. You declare the praise of God. You declare God's character, who he is. But here's what else you're declaring. You're declaring who you are in the gospel, who God says you are, your identity in him. So when you're sitting in that barren place, you say, I am chosen. I feel like I'm abandoned, but God is with me. I am chosen. I am sanctified. I am redeemed. I am saved. I am forgiven. I have been made righteous. I have been declared a child of the king of kings. and none can snatch me from his hand no matter what my brain wants to tell me right now I will trust in the living God and declare who he is and what he's done amen in your face Satan do not leak declare his praise we need to preach the gospel to ourselves I don't know about you maybe this is just me I gotta preach the gospel to myself like many times a day when that fear comes, when that anxiety comes, oh yeah, be anxious of nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition. All right, here it comes. And the God of peace will be there. Right, your presence can be with them. And day after all the watches of the night, preach the gospel to yourself, loved ones, again and again. Preach the truth of who God is and what He's done. Oh, whole sermon should be coming on that. All right, fourthly. How do we meditate on God? We run to his word. We call on his name. We declare his praise. And now after that, look at this. Hold fast his promises. Hold fast. Hold fast, loved ones. Hebrews 10:23. Love it. Put it on the screen, gentlemen. Let us hold fast. That is, be steadfast to the confession of our hope. The confession of Jesus Christ and our salvation in him. Look at this. Without wavering. Your circumstance may try to tell you otherwise. You hold fast without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. His steadfast love for you is unbreakable. You hold fast to that promise. All of those promises, over 3,000 of them in God's word, have their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. You hold fast. Don't let your eyes have the final say. Let God's word have the final say. Are you meditating on the Lord? Just look at that list. Be honest. Be honest, loved ones. Humble ourselves. Are you meditating on the Lord, who he is and what he's done, and clinging to him alone? As you look at that list, what's your next step? You say, well, people think I look crazy if I'm in my car worshiping. Yeah. Cool. That's cool with that. I've got that a few times. Buddy I know got pulled over by a cop. What are you doing? I'm just worshiping. Oh, what are you listening to? Great. And then they prayed together. Like, it's, God will not waste anything. A heart satisfied in God alone desires God's presence earnestly, remembers God's power constantly, and from this, final point today is this, a heart satisfied in God alone trusts in God's deliverance confidently. Confidently. Trust in God's deliverance confidently. And the question we're confronted with in this final point is this. Confidence flows from satisfaction. Will I trust in God alone to deliver me? I'm clinging to him. Will I trust in him? Look at 9 to 11 as we finish. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God all who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. See what happens here? David now moves from a posture of remembrance to a posture of confident expectation in God. Not in himself, not in his own abilities, in God to deliver him through the trial he's facing. Now recall, here's his trial. Enemies coming against to kill him. Thousands of men from Jerusalem hunting him down They're lying about him to the people of Jerusalem. And as such, here's what's happening here. As with anyone who opposes a believer in the body of Christ, a true believer, to oppose a true believer is to oppose God himself. And that's what these men are doing because David was God's chosen king. They're opposing God. How well do you think that's going to go? And so David declares, he says, they're going to go down to the depths of the earth. What's that? The grave. The place of the dead, the Hebrew means. God will bring them down by the power of the sword. God will fight for his children. And they will become a portion for jackals. That's like... That's some crazy language. There, here. What are we talking about jackals? Here's our little jackal right here. This is a Judean desert jackal. And there's thousands of them. And they run around and they eat garbage and rodents. And David says they're going to become a portion for these. They're going to feast on the unburied bodies of God's enemies little graphic, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. Right? The picture here David's giving is of utter destruction. By seeking to destroy God's people, they would bring that very destruction on themselves and their mouths, the lies, would be stopped. And in verse 11, because of this, you can see there, because of his trust in God to deliver him through the situation, birthed by his satisfaction in God, in knowing, here's what we need to know today, that whatever would happen to you in your situation, whatever would happen to David, it needs to be anchored in God's steadfast love for him, that God will not allow anything that is not loving to allow, and what is needed. And because of his satisfaction, that God is sufficient for him no matter what happens, David can confidently state that both he and all who swear by God, that means give their allegiance to him, that means now today in the new covenant, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and turning to him alone as your Lord and Savior. Hey, here's the beautiful truth. They will rejoice not only through the trial, but at their deliverance from it either in this life or in the life to come. The truth for every follower of Christ is this. God is on the way. Deliverance will happen in God's time and on God's terms. Deliverance will happen in God's time, on God's terms, in this life or the life to come. And it may not be in your timing. God, I want you to work right now. It may not be in your timing. It may not look like what you want it to look like. But it will be exactly when it's needed, exactly what is needed, because it comes from the hands of a perfect, all-powerful, wise God out of his steadfast love for you. Rest in this today. Jesus Christ is coming to deliver you if you are saved in him. He is the victor. He is. Always has the final say. And this is why, last quote on the screen, satisfaction in Christ always leads to the exaltation of Christ. Always. This is why David says, I'm going to rejoice. We always have a reason to rejoice. Our enemy is defeated and our deliverer is coming. Before the trial, we can rejoice in the trial and from the trial. A heart of satisfaction is a heart of worship that comes from a heart satisfied in God alone, desiring his presence, remembering his power, and trusting his deliverance. Hey, loved ones, where do you need to turn to him today? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are a deliverer. Jesus Christ, you are a victor. And Lord, I don't know what every person in this room A lot of people in this room, I I don't know the trials they're going through, the deserts that they're feeling, the parched souls that they have. I don't know what's contributing to that, but you do so intimately. And I pray right now they would just call out, God, you are my God. Those who, by your mercy, have had their eyes open to say, I need to be saved through Jesus Christ, even today, right now. They would just be done running, finding, trying to find satisfaction in the parched areas of this world and run to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, you call us through your word to get our eyes off our situation and to get them on you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, our deliverer, our victor, Our friend, our king, our father, the head of this church, Jesus Christ, the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Lord, I pray that as we respond in this last song, you would get our eyes off ourselves, get our eyes off going what's going on around us, and get them upon you and your steadfast love that you would truly be everything for us. Hear our cry in Jesus' name.